All right, let's pray, and we'll jump in Romans 6. Lord, we thank you that you're doing things in us. Thank you for the invitation today to come in your presence and be with your people and worship you just because you're worth it, Lord. You are worthy of all praise, and you're not only worthy of our lips, but you're worthy of our lives. So we want to live in your rhythm. We want to follow you with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. We want to learn what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Holy Spirit of God, now we invite you to teach us and lead us and guide us into truth. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, how many of you were at the men's breakfast that we did a couple of weeks ago? We had it, and the guy Martin Dom, uh, I don't know if he wrote notes uh, or picked up the email with his notes. He gave a brilliant, ladies, uh, we want to have him come. He was so good, I want him to have a share it on a Sunday about being a leader and a follower of Jesus. And Martin, uh, he has been the president and CEO of Daimler or Freightliner uh, uh, Trucks North America for years. He's a leader of leaders, and it was a great investment in, in our lives. Well, what you didn't know, guys, he shared with me right before getting up to speak, is a couple of days before his boss, uh, Daimler's a German company, had invited him to take a significant position, number two, in all of Daimler worldwide. Uh, and he and his wife have been praying about it. They've been a part of our church. This is home for them. This is their church. But for a season, this job is going to require Martin to live in Germany and commute back and forth. So what he did was he was just here this week. So he talked to us on Saturday, went on Monday, and got announced, worldwide announcement, on, on Tuesday. Then he came back and... He was like, it was surreal. I had to go, and I landed. There was a car that picked me up. We drove straight to the U.S. consulate, and he had to give in his U.S. green card, part of the nature, the dynamic of that position. And so in a moment, his whole world changed. He's been living here and working uh, with a U.S. green card. And, but in that moment, he handed it back, and all of the rights that came with it. So in coming back, he had to come back as a tourist, kind of surreal. He has a house here, but so what are you doing here? I'm here to visit my wife. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to visit your wife? And he, he, but he, he can't work here. Um, he, he can only be here for a few months at a time, whereas before he, he could stay here all the time. In one moment, everything changed. Same guy but a totally different scenario. The reason I share that, and I did ask his permission, by the way, I'm not just reading his mail, calm down. I'm like, man, I'm, not, I'm never going to talk to Jose, because the next thing you know, and I'm there on Sunday. Anyway, um, I just wanted to share it because as I've been reading through and looking through Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, that story of, in a moment, an invitation, an invitation received, and then action and change it kind of hints at what Paul's trying to share with us about what it means to embrace the gospel. So what happens when you do embrace the good news? Jesus changes everything. Everything. And those three words can summarize where we've been in Romans so far. Jesus has come and Jesus changes everything. And so we saw last week, if you were here, from Romans 5, there are two ways to be human. There's the way of Adam or Adam. We're all in it. We want to know God, but we rebel. And it takes us on the cycle that spirals down. 
Adam meant to live forever, his children, his children, his children, all live shorter lifespans. It's a sign that rebellion and sin lead to death. And the way of Adam is the way we were born into and the way we choose to live. That's our story. We want to know God, but we're broken. But there is a new way, and that's the good news. We can step into the way of Jesus. We're either in Adam or you, according to Paul, you're either in Adam, living this way, or you're in Jesus. But living in Jesus really means something. And so what we want to see now, and what Paul's going to hint, in three questions. He's never been there. So he does what a good writer will do. He kind of draws you in with a question. So Paul, in Romans 6 and 7, he asks, like rhetorically, three questions. And then he answers them. And these three questions help shape what does it mean to live in Jesus? If I was in Adam, but now I'm defined by Jesus, what does that actually mean for day to day? All right, so let's just do this. Let's read Romans 6, verses 1. And following, there's three questions. We're just going to look at the first question this morning. What do we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who had died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into the Messiah, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as the Messiah was raised from the dead. By the way, I'm not misplacing the words. Christ is just the Greek word translated into English for the Messiah. This one that God had promised is Jesus who is the Messiah. So just as the Messiah, Jesus, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we to may live a new life. All right, Q&A. What's the question? We saw it in verse 1. Shall we or should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Last week we ended with grace, defining what it is. Grace is God's favor, his care, his help, his goodwill. So God is for you. That's grace. He gives you what you don't deserve. That's grace. All right. So in light of that, how do I live? See, he, he does rhetorical. Okay, should I, if grace is good, and how many of you want more grace? Not a trick question. Yeah, I want more. Okay, so the way I get it is when I need favor, when I need forgiveness, when I need rightness, when I need goodwill, it usually shows up when I messed up. So should I amplify my sin so I get more grace? And he's like, of course not. Why? You have been Justified. I'm going to recap what we've been hearing over the last few months. God has put you, the moment you trust in Jesus, he has put you into the right. You were in Adam. You're ripped out of that old life. You are now in Jesus. And Jesus is in the presence of the Father. And so are you. So am I. You've been reconciled. We were at tension, at odds with God. Sometimes okay. Other times against. But we've been reconciled. God has put into our account all that we need to know him. We've been redeemed. You've been bought literally from slavery, sin that leads to death, and now you've been set free to know the living God. All of these things are totally true, so don't make that an excuse to get more grace by doing more sin. Of course not, and you will be saved. We saw that last week. 
Yes, the moment I trusted in him, I'm justified. But salvation is future forward. God is going to finish what he started. He's begun a good work. You've been given the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the seal, the imprint of God on your life. You are in him. And now one day, when God remakes the heavens and the earth, you are going to live and actually rule. You'll have a J-O-B, a job, living with God. We are his people in his world made brand new. We will be saved. Now, on Monday morning, when your stack of emails is huge and things are hard and you're struggling, don't forget you will be saved. God is not done with you. He is not done with me. And the future is filled with hope. That's why the message of the good news is a message of hope. Life will be hard, but in the future, I'm going to be with God. All right, so how do I live and respond to this kind of extravagant love. Let's just work through the text. Verse 2, or end of verse 1. What do we say? Should we go on sinning so that grace would increase? No way. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then he goes into this whole thing about baptism. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. So in this, what do, what do we know, three things that I think we're going to get from Paul about our new life in Jesus that will be helpful. The first is this, and these ought to be motivations towards you and I living for him and honoring with our lives. Number one, we're a new people. We're a, we're a totally group of new people. Now, you don't look like it. The moment you trusted Jesus, your DNA, your physical DNA didn't change. You have the same personality temperaments. You have the same background, same history. But in God's sight, which is the bigger view, you're not the same person. And so you're called to live a new way because you are a new person. We're a new people. Um, the message, which is a paraphrase, Eugene Peterson wanted to take the Bible and just put it in today's vernacular. So it's not word for word exactly precise, but it's good. It, it adds color. Let's just uh, throw it on the screen. These first few verses in the message. So what do, we know, what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? That's just like a, it's a good, like it's a visual. And when I think of Martin, like he is now a German, he was born and raised in Germany, but he's a German citizen. He is not with a U.S. green card. He cannot live here the same old way. Or don't you realize we packed up and left there for good? Again, it's just, it's just, it's poetic. But in a real sense, you and I, we changed countries. You, you might be American by birth or Korean by birth or, or Mexican by birth, wherever you are by birth. But now you have been raised with Jesus into a whole new life. We used to belong to Adam, so to speak, but now we've handed in that green card. We now belong to a whole new world where there's a new king and his name is Jesus. So I just want you to see that ought to be, it's subtle, but it ought to be a motivator for you and I to live into the life that God wants for us. Why? We are actually new people. Now, what does Paul point to 
to illustrate the newness of life. Uh, look at verse 3. Don't you know all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is very interesting. He, he has been saying for five chapters now, how do you receive God's life? Is it through works? No, it's by faith. It's by faith that you become justified. It's by faith, God's grace, that gives you the ability. It's by faith that you're redeemed. It's by faith that you're reconciled. I don't do this. God does it for me, right? But what does he point to? He doesn't point to their faith. He's not met them yet. But he says there is a sign that I know speaks to something new about your new life. And it is your baptism. Now that will tell us something. He hasn't met them, but he knows if they have expressed faith, they have been baptized. That's interesting. We, I think, sometimes downplay the role of baptism in our walking in this newness of life. So let's think of Martin again. He was here. He got a phone call. He got an invitation to a new life. By faith, he received that gift. Are you with me? But then that faith led him somewhere. What does he do? Faith in this new opportunity, in this new way of living, caused him to get on a plane and go and hand in his U.S. green card. What I'm saying is that faith shows up in the real world. Faith shows up in obedience. The job is in Germany. The job is not here. So faith leads to a faithfulness. And I think we see that in baptism. That's the picture that we begin to see. Jesus is faithful to pay for my sin and to die in my place. He's faithful as the Son of God to rise again. And he's full of all of life-giving power. It's all been given to the Son, Jesus, and is faithful in love to impart life into my broken and dead world. But what is baptism? It's this picture where I step into God's story of faithfulness. And as Jesus is faithful in his death and resurrection, so I am faithful to say goodbye to the old, Adam. And I step into his faithfulness and I say yes to this new life in God. So baptism, the act of going in and out of the water, doesn't in and of itself save. Just like, just like Martin handing in his green card doesn't guarantee that job. No, it, it doesn't in and its, of itself save, but it is the, hear me, the sign to yourself and the world that you have stepped into the newness of life. That's why for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have expressed faith in him and then gone into the waters where you say to the community as you're saying to yourself, just like it says in the text, Jesus died and in the real sense, I experience a death. The old person is now gone. The, the cycle of Sin that leads to rebellion, that leads to death. In Adam, no, no, that's not my story anymore. I am now in the resurrected Jesus. And so grace and life and power and favor are now mine. Not because I did it, but because Jesus did it. And I'm stepping in the wake 
of that. So while baptism doesn't save, hear me, there's something important that really happens. And, and this is where, you know, try to explain the intangibles. I, I, I can't fully explain all that happens to you in your baptism. But I would say to you, my friends, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but for whatever reason, maybe you didn't understand the importance of it, maybe you just haven't had the opportunity, um, maybe you've been following Jesus so long you're embarrassed. Because if I go in that tank and people realize, what? Can, can we drop pride and obey? Because faith leads to faithfulness. Jesus is Faith and faithfulness leads to my faith and faithfulness. And if Jesus can suffer horror on my behalf and be publicly mutilated and embarrassed so that I can become a child of God, who am I to say I can't get wet in front of people that actually like me? We haven't had one person murdered in the tank yet. <laughs> or judged. So come first Sunday in April. Can we just settle this? Something really happens. Let that something happen to you. Notice I didn't say what it was. All right. First thing, you, we are, we're, we're made new, right? We are new people. Secondly, we're united with Jesus. To be new means that we're united with him. Look at verse, verses 6 and following. We, we, we saw baptism. We're made new. There's death. There's resurrection. That's our story. Now, verse 6, um, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has now been set free. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also Live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Death happened once, but life happens forever. And so there's this connection. The old, it says in, in verse 6, the old self, what is that? It speaks to who you were. There was a time you were apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. That old person has now died. Again, same DNA, same personality, same issues. But now, where as I was motivated by self and really sin, I'm now motivated and filled with the Spirit of God and truth. And I'm made right before Him. And if this sounds too good to be true, it is too good, but it's true. It's just, but that's why it's called good news. Some of us don't even, we're not excited about sharing it. We're not necessarily excited about living it because we don't actually know what it is. And it is knowing God, having the Spirit, my mind renewed. Truth is awakened and I can live for God. So Jesus pays it, and now I receive in the wake of his faithfulness, I receive what I need. He rose from the dead, and now I'm experiencing resurrection. 
That is, now that I'm in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That old way, cycle of sin that leads to death, that is gone. I am now in Him. My future is in Him. My today is in Him. And I'm experiencing resurrection. So death has no hold on Jesus. Death has no hold on me. You can kill me. I don't suggest you try. You can kill me. But you cannot cause me to live in death. Because death has been defeated by Jesus. I'm a child of God. And I am with him here. And I will be with him there. And that's not reason to boast. That's reason to live with hope. Especially when it rains for 23 days in a row. <laughs> hope. Hallelujah. I know. It's not raining today. <laughs> Let's hurry up. Let's go outside. Go for a walk, a run, a something. So what we could say is what is true of Jesus is now true of you. That sounds like a Christian cliche. My friends, that is just truth. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. He experienced death and resurrection. I experienced death and resurrection. So we belong to Jesus at the deepest level, which means my name is Jose Zayas. Jose Francisco Zayas, if you want to be complete. Um, don't get stuck on the middle name. It's beautiful. Especially if you speak it with a Spanish accent, which I don't. But I, I am now Jose Francisco Zayas who belongs to Jesus. And that is not the same thing. I now belong to him and he belongs to me. And that's my identity. It's who we are. We are united with Christ. We're united with the Messiah. The old person's gone. The new person is here. We belong to Jesus. His power is now my power. His wisdom is my wisdom. His future is my future. This is, my friends, the base of hope, especially when life is hard. So you say, well, that sounds too good to be true, but you don't know what I'm going through. I'm not, I don't feel his presence and I don't really feel close. Well, let me use an illustration. Today, my wife's sitting right here, so I'll be very careful. I don't feel married. So I should just do whatever I want. I feel single today. Do you realize how, A, quickly I'm going to get hurt. B, how foolish that thinking is. I have been united with my wife in marriage. Therefore, feelings are helpful at times, confusing at other times, and not the truest thing. My feelings of closeness to Jesus, as helpful as they may be, are not the truest thing about what is real. I am united with Christ. I have been married. I have been merged with him. I've been united with him. So I might not feel American. I think everyone's now questioning, do I really belong to this thing? Whatever this thing is. Okay, look at your passport or your license. Whether you feel it or not, you are whatever this is. It doesn't, you, you are an American citizen. You are subject to American law. And you, by the way, I'm not going political here but I travel the world. Stop moaning. You are free to succeed here, my friends. And most places in the world, you got someone who's willing to grab your stuff and ain't nothing you could do about it. 
So God bless Jesus. <laughs> and he has. Ah, <laughs> you thought I was, I didn't go there. I didn't go there. So I may not feel united to Jesus, but that doesn't mean I'm not. I have been united with Christ. So I've been made new and I'm united with him, which leads to his third point. And this is where we need to grasp what God says I am to do. We are called to live a new life. We're called to live. So in light of I've been made new, I've been now united with Christ, I'm called to live a new life. Look at verse 11, if you would. We'll read 11 through to verse 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself. That's like your mind. That's your, that's your activity. That's your, that's your time, your energy. Don't offer any part of yourself as an instrument to wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. What he's saying is what's very clear here in English. You can, you can love Jesus, but have parts of you living unlike him. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Verse 14. Sin will no longer be your master. You're not under the law, but under grace. Now, in light of, hear the progression. In light of what's true, you've been made new. In light of what's real, you're united to Christ. There are some ramifications of it. Go back to Martin. In light of the new job, in light of faith in the new opportunity, there is a leaving of the old, and now he's walking around with a German passport subject to German law and living in a German way. So in the same way, following Jesus, this sounds complex, actually means following Jesus. Like, no, we know it, but we're like, yeah, but no, following Jesus, that is going from death to life, not bad. Being united in Jesus, being fueled by God himself, not bad, has, has some application. But because we've been around church so long, we could sometimes think, well, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because it's just too narrow and there's so many restrictions and there's, you know, these, all these things and it cramps my style. I just want you to see this. I use Bible software, uh, Logos, um, and in it what you could do is you could code it to color code words. Now, I'll, I'll explain this. So when something says it's true about me, that's an, an indicative. You, you were crucified. That was done to me. God, God removed the old. I, we were raised to life. That's an indicative. I didn't do it. It was done to me. And then, English majors, just be happy. Indicatives and imperatives. Imperatives are commands. That is... Do this or don't do this. So there is a combination of things that are true and then things that we do. If it's not already up to you, perfect. This is the text we just read. In, in yellowish-orange, the lighter color are indicatives. What we read, you just see if you can read it right. Are there more yellow-oranges or more reds? Okay. All of those yellowish-orange, and it's yellow in my thing, but it's a screen thing, you know. All those brighter colors are true of you. And then at the bottom, you're going to see there are four things that are 
read. Those are the commands. In light of what's true, in light of what's true, in light of what's true. So you've, you've died and you've been raised to life. You're united with Christ, Christ and set free from sin. You will live with Jesus now and forever. Sin and death has no rule over your life. All of that is the yellow. All that is true for, of you if you're in Jesus right now. But in light of that, there are some reds, some commands. Notice there are fewer commands than things that are true. And that's usually, if you read any of Paul's writings, he, he's thought through Jesus. This is true, 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 this is true. Live this way. This is true, this is true, this is true. Live this way. This is not a religion of rules and regulations. This is a way of really living. Being set free by God to enjoy Him. But enjoying Him means following Him. So there are four things you do. Count yourselves dead to sin. Which, by the way, you're already dead to it. It doesn't have mastery over you. But count it that way. Live as if it's that, that's true. Don't let sin reign. In other words, Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is, is your source of everything. So don't let sin reign. Don't offer yourselves to wickedness. Don't say to wickedness, hello, here I am. Now no one will be dumb enough to say it that way. But just watch yourself on video. Going off. And he's saying, it has no hold. Therefore, don't hand yourself over on a platter. Rather, offer yourselves to God. So you have been made new, and you are united to Christ, but now the way I live actually matters. So how do we live past and move past making excuses for our behavior and living in a way that pleases God? We have to resist temptation. Here's a great quote about temptation. Resisting temptation is a matter of learning to think straight. That's so helpful. And to, to act on what you know to be true. See, this is true. I am, in, I am in Jesus and my old life is gone. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I have grace. When I remind myself of those realities, it begins to help me think straight. Why in the world would I offer myself to an enemy who's trying to kill me? When he's been defeated and he's in the wrong and I'm in the right, why am I going to join his team? Now, we do it all the time. Resisting temptation is about a change of mind. God's already changed your position. You're already a child of God. But I need to tell my mind, get in line with who I already am. This is who I am. Therefore, this is how I will live. And here's the good news. You can win the battle of the mind because Christ is your mindset. And you're not, it's not like, well, man, now God expects me to be like him, thanks. No, God has made you in his image and now refueled you with his very spirit. Now he's saying you can. The question is, do you believe that you can be who God created you to be? And when that mindset shifts and you realize, I am a child of God, then you can tell the old way of living, no, thank you. I've got a better deal. And I'm going this way. You can. And look at verse 14 where he summarizes it. 
why is this true? Sin will no longer be your master because you're not under law. You are under grace. Which, by the way, is not a command. It's an indicative. It's true. You, you, sin is, is no longer your master. That's true. You're not under law. That's true. You're under grace. That's true. So what does Paul do? He sandwiches this thing. True, 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 true. Four things you need to do. Stop giving in to sin. Give yourself to God. And by the way, you can because this is true. His final statement is you're not under the law. You're under grace. And that's how it works. Okay, so what do we do? Because everything I've said sounds attractive but probably is not in sync with all of our reality. Because <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I find myself giving in to temptation quite easily. Two things that we need to know about grace and let's respond and worship to Jesus. The first is we can see God's grace as too small. And that's a problem. And when we see God's grace as too small, we say, well, God, I know it's been three years and you know I wrestle with this and I've done this again. And we can, we can psych ourselves out and say, God, you can't forgive me. Or I know you did it for them, but that doesn't apply to me. I've sinned too many times. I've gone too far. And you just need to know God's grace is bigger. It's bigger than your bigger thing. So where our sin is here, God's grace is always insurmountably good towards us. There is grace for you. Why? You're not an enemy. Christ lives in you. And so God's love is there even though you don't feel it and you don't feel forgiven and you don't feel set free and you don't feel like you're going to get another chance. I'm not negating your feelings. I'm saying your feelings may not be the truest thing. Let God's truth, God's grace be true for you. Some of you just need to receive a grace that renews your, your hope to walk in the newness of life, which God said is true of you. But on the other side, I have to be fair and say, we could also make grace an excuse to live in sin. We can, right? So somewhere in the tension and by the way, I'm not the judge. <laughs> Somewhere in the tension, you're going to make grace too small or you're going to be tempted to make grace an excuse to do what you want and say, God, thank you for eternal forgiveness. Which, don't forget the question that started this all. If we've received grace, should we go on sinning so that grace increases? Absolutely not. So erring on this side is not the heart of God. Which one of the two do you need to hear this morning? I, I don't know. But just receive, okay? Whether that's a new mindset, maybe the Spirit of God is telling you, yeah, that whole grace and excuse, I'm talking to you, kiddo. Receive that as love from the Father. And the Father loves you so much, He will get in your face. What a good father. Uh, by the way, a good father doesn't just say, oh, I messed up again and avoid it. A good father lovingly confronts and says, you are better than this. And this is a better way. And a loving father brings you along in the way of hope and your father's loving. But I, I don't know, maybe you're here and you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this any longer. There's grace for you. So what do we do? We receive. Faith receives and then shows up in a faithful life. 
So today, receive grace, receive mercy, receive correction. And then let's just, let's just commit today to, as the Spirit leads, live it out this week, okay? Why don't we stand on our feet and let's respond. We're going to go to the table in a little bit. But before we do that, let's just ask the Spirit of God to do His best work and apply what we just heard to our soul, to our thinking, to our feeling. And let's respond in praise to Jesus because it's His death and resurrection that makes all this possible. Lord, we thank You. We love You. We, we receive. God, thank You that we've already received eternal life. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive forgiveness. We receive the new name. And now today, the grace that we need to cover a multitude of our rebellions, we receive it. We confess our sin is sin. We don't make excuses. But we ask you, God, not for justice. We ask you for mercy. In your mercy, set us free, we pray. And Lord, we want to live in a way that pleases you. So we respond with words that are filled with worship and lives that result in worship. In your name, amen. Let's sing again.